Hi and welcome to the GMC Sunday podcast where our team from GMC, Gillespie Memorial Church in Dunfermline, Scotland, bring you our weekly message from the Lord. This podcast brings you a sermon series in St Paul's letter to the Ephesians, grounding ourselves in the Church of Jesus Christ. Each week our preaching team will consider Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus and the wider region of then Asia Minor and in it see one of the most contemporary letters for the church today. It's a letter filled with deep meaning, exploring the past, present and future with his great argument. Paul considers all things before the foundation of the world and then carries it on to the fullness of times, embracing in its compass all things in heaven and on earth. Ephesians sets the theological landscape for those who love Jesus in order that they will bear fruit as individuals and as the universal church. Thanks for joining us on this podcast and we hope you're both encouraged to respond to God's word and will be challenged by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before the word from God, we will lead you in a time of prayer. So welcome. We're going to start uh, the morning with prayer. We're going to come before the Lord, so let us pray. And we're going to start with a call and response. Uh, We did this uh, a month or two ago, I think, um, and we'll start with that, and then I'll continue to pray. So if we all say together, in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. One thing I have asked of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Who is it that you seek? Do you seek him with all your heart? Do you seek him with all your soul? Do you seek him with all your mind? Do you seek him with all your strength? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. Father, you are the King, you are the King of endless glory, you are eternal forever, you are the light of the world. Father, we thank you for the offering that comes before you. Take it, multiply it, bless it for your work. For all praise is due to you indeed, Lord. For we gather in your name to receive your word and to proclaim you Saviour and Lord. We bring before you, Holy God, all our sin. And with repentant hearts we seek the forgiveness for the penalty of sin, the penalty paid for and wrought on the cross by your Son. Wash us clean, Lord. By the blood of the Lamb, wash us clean and shine in us this day your light, a light that would also shine forth from us, proclaiming our dedication to you for the mercy we have received and that by our light others may see the glory of your name and cry out that they may know it too. Light of our lives, 
light of the world. You reign now and forever. And we praise your holy name. Amen. Following our prayer time, I hope your heart is prepared and open to receive from God's word wherever you are today. If in anything you hear from our preacher today, from God's word or the sermon challenges you and maybe raises questions, or if you want to know more about the Christian faith and getting to know the Lord Jesus, then please get in touch via our website or through the office. Details are in our show notes. Or if you'd like to support GMC financially in our ministry for the kingdom, then offering details can also be found on the contact us page of our website, gillespiechurch.org. Now, over to our preacher. Lee, thank you for last week for leading and preaching and bringing God's word. Um, he took us just into the beginning of chapter 5, which is where I pick up this week in Ephesians. Um, and we're going to hear from Ephesians 5, 3 through 14. Uh, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Um, follow through if you've got your Bibles with you. Um, hear the word of God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolishness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake. O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Lord, we thank you for the reading of your holy word. To your name be praise and glory. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. Coming over to the same. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Are you all awake? I don't mean physically awake, eyes open and alert, but I mean are you awake to the presence of Jesus in your lives? Are you awake to the transformation that he makes in life, is making in lives across his world? Personally, are you aware of what he has done, has done, is doing, what he will do? Are you aware of the transformative nature of his presence, 
Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. For that is what Jesus achieves. He wakes the dead. He awakens the deadness in your soul, and the results are nothing short of complete transformation. Or at least they should be. Last week, Lee said that the life we now live in Christ should no longer be for our gain. It's not about us. Living life in Christ is about unity. It's about building up the body of Christ. We've already heard from Isabel the importance of the church community, of the church living that life of Jesus for one another. But what does being built up as the church mean? What's it about? Well, it's about becoming more like God. More holy, in other words. How do we do that? Well, we confess our sin in repentance. We put aside that which is not helpful in life when you live with Christ. We heard in an earlier part of Ephesians about taking off the old and putting on the new, thereby taking on a nature of compassion with one another in order that God's people would be fragrant. We would be a fragrant, true sacrificial offering, being like Christ, being like God. But that's all well and good. That's about relationship in the church and with God and with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. What does the relationship of the church, you and I, with the world look like? What's that relationship with? The world who are not like us. Simply put, it looks like being light. Simply being light. Now that may sound simple, but there's nitty-gritty stuff in there when we proclaim we are light. Because it requires dealing with the nitty-gritty desires of our hearts, the dirtiness and the damnation that comes with it. It's about dealing with, as Paul has pointed out, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, wrong talk, wrong behavior. It's about rejection of darkness in favor of acceptance of light. So this passage partly deals with sexual relations, often not talked about in the church and some of you will maybe remember, if you were here, I spoke about sexual morality in the lax position of many in the Church of Scotland some time ago, and some were offended, some walked out, some have never returned. But folks, my views haven't changed because the Word of God doesn't change. Though I would be wrong to say my views have not changed. They have been changed by God and His Word because when I was younger... When I was living fully in the world, you could say consumed by the world, then I was in that world of self-indulgent desire, the dirtiness which leads to damnation. So what changed in me? Simply was Jesus. Simply was Jesus. Still always an ongoing work, but it's only by living by the light of Jesus Christ, that we can come to know the darkness of the previous existence, that I can know the darkness that was in my soul in all of its forms. 
So what does Paul have to say about these ways of living? Well, he's writing to the church in Ephesus, we know that, and the churches around the area, to believers in Jesus Christ. He's writing to believers. But he speaks here about the relationship with the world. He's speaking about pagans outside of the church. He's saying their sexual morality is debauched. And it was pointless to claim to be a Christian if their behavior was no different. Many think Paul has a hang-up about sex. And you could read it that way. But if you go through the Bible, then you say the whole Bible has a hang-up about sex. Because it's there right in Genesis. No adultery. Ten Commandments. And you find it right at the end of the Bible where Jesus praises the church in Pergamum, one of the seven churches he's writing to through John. And Pergamon is holding fast to Jesus' name, and he praises them for it. But in that letter to Pergamon, Jesus criticizes some of them who practiced sexual immorality. And he says to them, therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. That's in Revelation 2.16. So this message is for Christians, for those who follow Christ. But what we can't do, what I cannot do, is expect those who do not know Jesus to operate under the same world view. But neither should Christians accept their worldview. You know, you, you hear people who are not Christian complaining about the Bible, the teaching of the Bible. They want to use their prevailing worldview for their own personal morality. I want to live by my truth. Yeah, they want to live by their truth, but they want us too. They complain about a text they don't believe, the Bible. They complain about a text they have no intentional desire to follow, but they want us to accept their worldview. And sadly, some Christians do. Maybe many. But what did, it, what did Paul write to Timothy? Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So when I preach my message, generally, most of the time, it's to professing Christians, you people before me. And the exhortation is to live as Christ demands, to accept assurance of Christ that comes through his atoning death on the cross for your sins, for those who believe. Those people are for whom I'm speaking to. But having said that, the Lord loves it if there are folk who hear a preacher who don't know Christ, and they are prompted then to find out more. They're prompted to pick up God's word. They're prompted to pray or inquire of one of you, of me. Who is this Jesus? How do I get to know him? But when I stand here, what I don't do is stand here piously expecting those who don't follow to Jesus to live as he demands. I can't because they're not his followers. But he does demand these things of those who would follow him. So all that said, this passage, as I've said, deals with sexual sin. It deals with language and it deals with greed. 
And it doesn't handle it like our society does. This, Paul isn't, in this passage, dealing with sin in the round, all sin. He is, yes, picking out some things, but he's picking out things that are most likely troublesome for Christian followers. Sexual sin is a problem because it's where pride and power and pleasure are so liberally connected together. And if sin gains control, sexual immorality is often the landing ground. Other landing grounds where sin can come into our lives can be language and greed or covetousness. And we find it being a landing ground in our lives because we are so surrounded by it connected to media, whether it's visual or audio, through TV and movies, through gaming, through media, through social media, through music. These mediums have been for decades, and even more so today, are setting the tone for life. And they fill our screens with adultery, promiscuity, pornography, homosexuality, violence in many forms as seen as entertainment. And those who were ethicists and theologians and philosophers have lost voice. And they've been replaced by rock stars, sports stars, actors, influencers, YouTubers, as people who people look up to for the way to live life. These are the people who are influencing morality. And it's so easy to buy into it. It's so easy for us as Christians to buy into it. It's even more easy for our young people to buy into it. If you don't know the stats, go and look them up. At what age young people are finding access to pornography? Is it even possible to pull back from this ever-increasing moral decline? And I think it is ever-increasing. Is it possible? Sure it is. Sure it is, because the light cannot be banished. The light cannot be banished by darkness. You go into a dark room, completely dark, with no light, it is completely dark. The minute you strike a match, light a candle, put on a torch, the light penetrates the darkness. We know the battle is won. The gates of hell will not prevail. Charles Spurgeon summed it up like this, you can Never kill the church till you kill Christ. And you can never defeat her till you defeat the Lord Jesus, who already wears the crown of triumph. Amen? So then the question is, is the church the light it is called to be today? Is the church of Jesus Christ, this church, the Baptist church down the road, our friends at Liberty, the Episcopals, whoever, are they the light they are called to be in the world today? Paul contrasts light and darkness to make clear the light is the only way for the church of Jesus Christ. But he starts with not, what is not acceptable. And I've said society's got a major problem with sex. Promiscuity, adultery are bad enough, but there's rape and incest, sexual abuse, hyper-misogynistic behavior just add to the problems. And it's a tough topic. I don't shy away from that. And as a preacher, I'm dealing with a topic that will affect people. 
There will be people who have suffered, maybe are suffering abuse. There'll be people who are struggling with addiction, men and women. This is why this needs to be heard in the church, not shied away from. All types of behavior that place power and self-gratification around sexuality make it a self-indulgent pastime outside the bonds of the sanctity of marriage. How often do you hear that coming from the church? Marriage that is between one man and one woman. Plain and simple, outside of those bonds, it's sin. It's against God and heaven. But society tells us it is not. Society says sex, whatever it is, whatever it looks like, is fine as long as it's consensual. We make TVs out of glorifying one-off sexual relationships. There's a program called Married at First Sight. We debase attraction down to pure physiology. Pornography is a billion pound, multi-billion pound industry that demeans and abuses. While our legislators say, oh, it's, it, it's legal, it's fine as long as you're over 18, but we do nothing to stop under 18s accessing it. But then on the, so, so we put all this stuff out there and then on the reverse, we complain when such acts are carried out non-consensually. Has no one heard of hormones? Desire, especially among our young people, especially in young men. I dare say some women too. If you put all this attraction in front of the masses, it's like putting the cookie jar in front of, well, me. I like cookies. Put them in front of me, I'm going to eat them. And when you put this attraction in front of the masses, society then complains when stars and politicians and Sports stars and movie stars and whoever, yes, church leaders too, pastors and church leaders, when they fall prey to the temptations of sexual sin, we come down on them like a ton of bricks. But we put it out there still the same. Society gives out the wrong message. Words such as modesty, decency with regard to dress have all but evaporated. Language and deviancy is distorted. There is no desire for purity. Purity's laughter, virginity before marriage, a joke. We are restructuring young people's minds with images people see today at such a tender age. So what is the answer? It's purely rejection of that narrative. Rejection of that worldview, that base morality. And instead, a repentance and, and a call on Holy Spirit to support, to guide, to strengthen Christians not to participate. I love this sentence. To not let the mind dwell where it does not belong. Do not let your mind dwell where it does not belong. People outside of the church will say, you're prudish. You have not got a liberated view of sex. But the truth is reverse. The world has sex as its master. The truth of the Bible is Christians have a high view of it. It is looked at as a gift 
from God to be enjoyed faithfully and passionately. It's not about prudishness. It's to be enjoyed faithfully and passionately because it comes from God and is holy and wholesome. And because it is holy and wholesome, it is bound in the covenant of marriage. For Christians, it mirrors a deeper, substantial love of God. Some of you, maybe many of you, have children or grandchildren living with partners outside of marriage. Happens to pastors too. Do you stay silent or do you say something? I'm not saying go home and create an argument. Pick up your phone to a niece or a nephew or whoever. I'm not saying to stop loving your care and compassion towards all of your family. But do you condone? Are you complicit by staying silent Does whomever it may be know your stance? Or maybe what I'm saying is not your stance. I'd urge you, go read this passage more. Go investigate more. Come and speak to me. Let's move on. Let's move on to language. Because language builds up or tears down. Lee spoke last week in Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So he's talking about building up there, but in this passage today, he declares what speech is unhelpful and empty, what is not good. Words of filthiness, in other words, is what he talks about. Grimy, grubby, foul, impure language. Obscene language is destructive. It has no place in the mouth of Christians. For how we deal and engage with discussion and talk matters. It reveals who we are on the inside. As one commentary puts it, we cannot have the light of the Lord in our lives and our mouths expressing darkness. He talks about foolish talk and crude jokes. It's not about rejecting humor, but rather misguided humor. Humor that's egotistical, demeaning, belittling can all be harmful and destructive. But it can be enlightening, creative, restorative even. Basically, Paul is saying destructiveness in speech must be avoided because it does not fit the way of the Lord, as does greed or covetousness not fit with the way of the Lord. Greed, our desire, is about what our eyes are led to. What our eyes are led to is about coveting. And what you desire, you then want. And you take. That's why the last command, not to covet your neighbor's wife, also speaks to the other command, do not commit adultery. Do not do what David did and look over at Bathsheba and send for her. Do not covet. Do not become greedy for that that you desire. That 10th commandment also talks about not coveting your neighbor's servants, animals, their house, because that's desire to steal, to take. That's that you want. Or maybe you see your neighbor has a particular lifestyle or way of living and you want it. You become greedy for it. 
And greed is the problem behind gambling in our society. It's behind theft and fraud. It's behind addiction. And it can come, it can become consuming. So Paul is saying, avoid all these things. Sexual immorality, covetousness, filthy, foolish language. And he goes on to then say, for with them there's no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. These peoples who he calls idolaters, making idols of things that they worship more than God. You shall have no other gods before me. They become self-absorbed, obsessed with themselves and their ways. But notice, it's not just God they contend with. It's Christ too. The kingdom of Christ and God are at stake. The warning to Christians is, do not be deceived by words of temptation. When the world says, don't worry, don't worry, it's all good. We've moved on from your puritanical ways and don't worry, we're fine. We're getting on really well. Come and join us. Paul says, heed the warning of Scripture. He says in verse 7, do not become partners with them. For the world's ways lead to the wrath of God. And then, pivotal sentence. Well, it's half of one and part of another. But verse 8. I'd even go as far as to say this verse is pivotal for the whole of Ephesians. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Simply put, if you're in Christ, if you have Jesus as Savior in your life, if you acknowledge his death was punishment for your sin, and that his resurrection has set you free from those sins, and you accept him as Lord of your life, then you walk in the light. Full stop. You walk in the light. And if you walk in the light, why would you want to be in the dark? Why hang around the darkness? Why dabble with it? In your own life, I mean, here. You might want to shine your darkness in the light, but don't dabble with it. You are light, so act like it. Max Lucado tells a wee story about some candles. These candles refused to be taken out of the box to provide light when there was a power cut. They just say, no, we're not coming out. And the candles give all the excuses in the world why they shouldn't provide light in the power cut. And when the husband tells his wife about the problem with the candles not working, she says, oh, don't worry, they're the church candles. Uncomfortable, huh? That's an uncomfortable analogy. Our task as Christians is to be light and leave the light on in the world, in the darkness of the world. The light in our lives, our interaction with the world, with our families, our colleagues, our friends and neighbours. It's to shine in us and from us. There was a time, I think, when evangelicals, and clearly I am one of those, focused more on personal sin and neglected social sin. If you don't know what social sin, it's kind of the things like racism, abuse, of wealth and power, these kind of things. Evangelicals very much focused on 
personal sin and ignored the whole stuff going on in the world. But today, that's kind of turned around. We highlight social sins and we ignore personal sin. And I get it because it's uncomfortable calling out personal stuff going on in people's lives, in our own lives. Because didn't Jesus say, before you take the speck out of your neighbors, take the big, massive log out of your own? We are called to do it, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't call out sisters and brothers in Christ, those in our families. But we don't like to because it's easier to call out the social sins of the world. It's easier to keep quiet. But sin is sin is sin, whether it's personal or social. And we are called to resist by leaving the light on. And I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping up very soon. It requires of us four things, and they're highlighted in our text. Five, verses one to two, A. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved. First thing, live continuously in the Lord. Live continuously in the Lord. Second, 5 verse 11a. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness. That's about refusing to unite or participate in the sins mentioned. Sexual sin, greed, inappropriate language, all forms of disobedience to God. Refuse to unite with them. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness. Three, walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's instead of refusing to unite, instead perform positive action. Do good, say what is right, say what is truthful. And lastly, Expose darkness for what it is. That's in verse 11b to 13. Instead, expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Expose darkness for what it is. These words challenge, challenge me. They challenge you, our consciences. They are meant to check our own ways of living, our own habits, our own talking, our pastimes, our behaviors. But it also challenges us to be that light to others. It's a call to holiness, something that is so much neglected in the church. But our holiness comes from what we believe. Have you ever heard the phrase, good doctrine informs good practice? Doctrine. The doctrines we believe inform how we live. John Piper writes, Holiness is not a condition into which we drift. We must actively cultivate a Christian life. And what that means is what we feed ourselves visually and audibly matters. It confirms the people we are and that matters to a holy God. If there is any incentive to the Christian to put on new clothes for Christ, there are two of them. There are two incentives to do this. What do you want first, the carrot or the stick? No one's saying, I'll give you the stick first. Let's leave the carrot. The first is the stick. The first stick is the one of a certainty of judgment. 
Paul writes, chapter five, verse five, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. I've already covered that. That is the incentive. That's the stick. But the carrot is all that is found in that, sorry, found in all that is good and right and true. Verse 9. It is fruit of the light. It is the fruit of Jesus Christ in your life. And if you walk with the Lord, so many of you do, all of you do maybe here, you know the fruit that becomes evident in your lives that shine out. Some may think that trying to shine the light into others' lives and shame them is judgmental. And Jesus calls us not to judge, for he is the judge. But it's not. The point is not to judge. The point about being light in the darkness, the goodness in the darkness, is that it is powerful, positive, evangelistic light. Shining the light of Jesus in this way convicts people of their sins, yes, but it also opens them up to the new way in the light of Jesus. It invites those who do not know the Lord to let them know that God so loved them that he gave his life for them. That they don't need to stay in the dark. That he died for their sin and rose that their sins might be beat forever. Even to those who struggle to believe or don't want to believe, Jesus offers them that choice, that gift of light and life, the gift of eternal life. So confessing sin and putting trust in Jesus is the way to true freedom in goodness, righteousness and truth. There is so much more to come in the last few weeks before we get to Advent. I think we've got four Sundays left in Ephesians. And it's about the practical nature of living as light. But for now, we're going to sing. We're going to sing Wake Up, O Sleeper by Graham Kendrick. And those, of course, are the last words we uh, heard in our passage from today. But I want, there's a verse in here, verse 3, which is the beginning of next week's readings. And so as we consider the world in which we live, what's going on in it, in politics, in business, media, the church, your families, ask these words of this last verse. As the days get darker, take care how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of each moment he gives and pressing on for the prize. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Worship Podcast from the team here at GMC. Again, if you'd like more details about who we are, what we believe and how we serve, then visit our website at gillespiechurch.org. Find us on Facebook or look back at some of the videos on our YouTube channel. Just search Gillespie Memorial Church. All inquiries can be made through the Contact Us page of our website. Details in the show notes. If you'd like to support our work with a financial donation, then offerings can be made by clicking the Support Us with Stewardship icon through the Contact Us page of the website. If you like what you heard, then please share with friends and family. 
This has been a production of GMC, including the pastors and the tech team. All copyright remains with the producers. Today's episode was edited by Jack Wiggle, and the soundtrack is Up to the Mood by Lowtree. Thanks for listening, and God bless.